Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Thank you, 909 on this Tuesday morning, January 2nd, 2024. I don't know if you still write checks or not if you made that mistake. Um, we're going to spend an hour talking with Dr. Judy Ho, our friend, clinical and forensic neuropsychologist, host of the Supercharged Life podcast. And I got a couple of texts here from people asking me about what was it that I saw on PBS. And it was a Mormon Tabernacle Choir Christmas special something. And I, I thought the most uplifting and interesting and intriguing and masterful storytelling part of it was when they told the story, a British actor came out and told the story of a, uh, a guy in Britain that saved children in Czechoslovakia, I think it was, or Prague. It would be where? Czechoslovakia, yeah, Czech Republic. Um, before World War II and how he saved and the parents had to give their children up because they knew they were going to a safer place and they wouldn't survive had they stayed. But anyway, the, the point of it, the takeaway was that we all influence the world one way or the other. Whether we like it or not, we do. And much like a pebble in a pond, we can either influence in a big way or a small way and that influence can either be positive or negative and it could be something as as major as dedicating your life to helping people and making their lives better the people that that need help or it could be something as minor as just being polite to somebody in traffic and and i'm not trying to be naive here or anything but i can be a pretty cynical person and i'm uh, that that kind of put the light on uh, ahead of me and uh, uh, over my head rather and it made me think you know what that's true you do influence the world every day so why not try to make it in a positive way and with that we welcome in dr judy ho clinical and forensic neuropsychologist host of the supercharged life podcast because a lot of people take the new year as a time to change their life and uh we thought we talk about mental health and more good morning dr judy happy new year how are you good morning well, do you need to go ten of that? Uh, you know, right now he's just uh, trying to settle down. I just um, am hugging him. He's uh, getting used to his independence, but also he doesn't like it when he wakes up and I'm not like right next to him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but he's okay now. He says hi, Tommy. Oh, you're okay. Maybe not. Like, you know what, Dr. Judy, you go tend to that, and we'll take a break, and then we'll try to reconnect when we come back, okay? How's that sound? Good. Because I don't want want Luca to be unhappy. Of course, now now he's fine as soon as you said that. He's like, let's take a break. All right, well, let's keep it going then. Let's see see if we can (laughs) outfox him. Um, Let's do it. Let's talk about people that, that uh, and just what I was talking about, how, uh, you know, sometimes you see things in a different light. And I guess before you can become a different person or maybe try to be a little bit more positive, you have to be willing to look at things from a different angle, right? Yeah, I think, you know, mindset and our thought processes just has so much to do with how we, I don't know, how we, how we approach life in general, but certainly how we think about situations and how we feel and how we act based on those situations. 
And so I think taking another perspective is always great advice. It's hard to do sometimes. Um, if you're, if you've been struggling, it's easy just to kind of get caught up in negative thinking because clearly there have been some negative things that have happened to you. Or if you're angry at somebody, angry at yourself, it can be hard to, you know, disconnect from that specific feeling and then try to go for the opposite idea of perhaps compassion and understanding. Um, sometimes we feel like we're righteous in the way that we feel and that we should feel that way, but in the end, a lot of that type of negative perspective and thinking really only hurts yourself and nobody else. And so, but it, it takes time. It, it's hard to do that. It's like easier said than done, right, Tommy? But I think that that whole new perspective is, is important and changing your perspective and being able to be flexible is just a really big mental wellness goal, you know, for all of us. Somebody texted in and, and they're already texting in 504-260-1870, the Oakland Art Jeweler mm-hmm. Talk and Text Line. And he said, sometimes I'll find myself being happy and I'll almost talk myself out of it. And why can't I allow myself to be happy? Is that a common thing, Dr. Judy? Yeah, I would definitely say that it's not uncommon. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening right now can resonate with that on one level or another. Like, you know, there could be different reasons why you think you don't deserve to be happy. Somebody else um, texts in here and says, uh, that happens to me, and I find myself saying, what do you have to be happy about instead of just enjoying the moment? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. See, so they just they just basically proved our point that really this is not an uncommon idea. And I think a big part of this um, is there's different reasons for why people think that they don't deserve happiness. One could be they just know that there's other people who are suffering around them, and they feel guilty about being happy during a time when they know that so many other people are having challenges. And also sometimes when you suffer from maybe shaky or low self-esteem or maybe you grew up with certain types of negative voices around you saying, you know, don't get too excited, you know, it's never going to work out. You know, those kinds of lessons, they follow us into adulthood and they start to become our own voices. And so there could be a couple of different types of reasons why that happens, but I think it's important instead of thinking about, oh, well, I don't deserve to be happy is to really switch it to an attitude of gratefulness, you know, really thinking about gratitude, essentially, and just being thankful for the things that you have in your life that is, you know, really causing you to feel happy. And instead of wondering whether or not you deserve it, it's really more about just showing some gratitude for those experiences. And also knowing that even an emotion like happiness, just like any emotion, even a negative one, they're all fleeting. So, like you were just alluding to, Tommy, this idea of, you know, just kind of trying to enjoy the moment because it is fleeting. It is not going to last very long, and it's just a temporary emotion. And so experience all of them, you know, the positives and the negatives, because they all have a function. Is there a way to keep it more than just a fleeting, uh, passing notion of being happy, a way to change uh, the outlook on things? Where and, and I guess that goes, Dr. Judy, to what you talked about with counting your blessings, where— yeah, I think a lot of times we take a lot of things for granted and we don't realize that it could be a lot worse. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of times we, again, you know, when when things are going well, you're catastrophizing possibly, thinking about when things are not going to go so well. And then, of course, when things aren't going well, then the ca- catastrophizing thoughts get even stronger. And so you spend so much of your time 
in negative thinking in a way. And it's all to try to protect yourself. It's all to try to prevent something bad from happening that you weren't uh, aware of, right? Nobody wants to be caught off guard. But a lot of times when we spend our time in catastrophic thoughts, the actual event that could happen that would lead to that catastrophe is probably less than 5%, 1% chance. And yet we spend so much of our mental real estate on it. And so it is important to try to disengage from that and say, you know, this is just my mind trying to protect me, but you have to trust yourself too, that if a catastrophe was to happen, you'd know what to do. Our brains and our bodies are literally built built for that. You know, we're, we're built to do fight or flight when we have to, The problem, I think, with modern-day thinking and modern-day stress is that we spend so much of our time going forward in our minds trying to think about what we're going to do if those things ever happen to us, that we're in fight or flight all the time, and that's what leads to chronic stress, and our minds and bodies are not actually designed for that. Yeah, how are we hardwired? What what has evolution done to us where, you know, going back to cavemen and so forth and cavewomen, were we— in essence, doom scrolling then, looking for the next dinosaur. Just kidding. I know dinosaurs and cavemen were not on the earth at the same time. It was a joke. No, but are, are yes. we doom scrolling where it's were, were people back then saying, oh, well, you know, there could be a lion over there or there could be this or that could kill you. They, oh, geez. Were they sitting in a cave saying, yeah. oh, you're going outside. There's so many things out there that could kill you. Oh, you don't want to go outside. Really? Right. Well, yeah. how, 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 how did that play a role in where we are today as people? Yeah, it's such a great question. And Tommy, you know, um, back in the olden days, when most of the fears are not just emotional and psychological, some of them were, but a lot of them were actually physical, like, okay, you could actually be eaten by a saber tooth tiger tonight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, the, the ancestors, our ancestors, the ones that have survived, were not the ones who were practicing mindfulness, right? That, that's a modern luxury that we have. Wait, say that again? Um, they, were, uh, they were not practicing mindfulness. That's, that's a modern luxury that we have, right? Because now, what do you now mean we by that? We're not running. Mi- mindfulness, what do you mean? Mindfulness, yeah, meaning that, you know, the, like this is a good example, like the, the, the people who were trying to meditate in the middle of their meal were the ones who were eaten by the saber tooth oh, tigers. I got you. Like, the ones who were more worried, more skittish, they were the ones who survived. And those are our ancestors, right? The ones who were a little bit more alert to what was going on, uh, maybe you know, not turning a blind eye when they finally got their meal, but they were kind of still darting their eyes around, wondering if there was going to be danger lurking around the corner. Well, those are the, those are the people who survived and were our ancestors and the ones who passed their genes down to us. And so obviously there's a balance to everything, but I think that, you know, you have to know that we're kind of built and wired that way to, to be a little bit on high alert, that that is sort of the way that we are. However, now we're clearly at the top of the food chain. There's a lot less that we have to be, you know, thinking about all the time as far as our physical safety, but what's taken over is more emotional and psychological stress. And our minds and bodies, they don't really distinguish between them because we really do need psychological thriving to survive too. So really our minds and our bodies react to emotional and psychological stress the same way it would to physical stress. And so the the difference though is that back in those olden days, 
you weren't really in perpetual fight or flight. I mean, basically the way that we're actually designed as humans is we spend brief periods of time, you know, running away from the saber tooth tiger, dealing with an emergency situation, and then you're supposed to get back into the rest and relaxation state. Unfortunately, now because of chronic stress, so many of us spend way too much time in that fight or flight mode and our minds and bodies are not really designed for that. So you start to get worn down. Um, Tommy, you may have seen these studies about chronic stress and what it does to you both physically and mentally. It can actually cause, um, you know, higher risk factors towards chronic uh, heart disease and obesity and even early death. And so those things are real. You know, your, your mind and our bodies were not really designed to be in that state of chronic stress all the time. And that's why it's so important for us to try to practice things like mindfulness and to get outside and enjoy nature and try to, you know, really take the moment for what it is because those are all shortcuts to getting into that rest and relaxation, that parasympathetic nervous system, rather than the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight. All right, let me take a break. We'll pick it up here. We come back. Somebody texted in and said, I have determined that this year I'm going to stop stirring the blank how do I do it? And I know some people who just can't stand it when everything's going well. They got to stir it up, and it, I think it's called chaos. We'll talk about that when we come back. If you have any questions or comments about starting a new year off, maybe changing things in your life and, and in a substantive way, a good way, where they stay that way, 504-260-1870. That's the Oakland Art Jeweler Talk and Text Line. More with Dr. Judy Ho when we come back, clinical forensic neuropsychologist, host of the Supercharged Life podcast. I'm Tommy Tucker. This is WWL. 927 now on his January 2nd. Happy New Year, buddy. Dr. Judy Ho, our guest, spending an hour with us, clinical forensic neuropsychologist, host of the Supercharged Life podcast, talking about how do you stick to a New Year's resolution? How do you make changes to your life that will stay? Somebody texted in before the break about they are a constant blank stirrer. How do they stop doing it? And Dr. Judy, Jordan reminded me that you wrote a book called Stop Self-Sabotage, Six Steps to Unlock Your True Motivation, Harness Your Willpower, Get Out of Your Own Way. That's available at Amazon, and I don't want to take you for granted or anything, but I think that's an important book that could help people. And and is that what you're talking about here, is Stop Self-Sabotage as it relates to stirring the you-know-what? Well, you know, I think, (laughs) thank you so much for the shout-out for the book, and I think that so many people do self-sabotage without necessarily knowing that that's what it is. And they're like, why do I keep getting in this pattern that's just not moving my life forward? And I do think that for so many of us, a lot of times we're thinking about, you know, what we can do to move forward. And the reason why we keep getting stuck in these old patterns is because, you know, they, they stick because you learned them at a time when you were just learning about the world. So those lessons tend to stick around a lot longer then when you're an adult and you actually do encounter different experiences that could challenge those existing beliefs, and yet your mind, again, this is something that just the way that we're built, it's just easier to accommodate new information into existing ideas that we already have rather than seeing new information saying, hey, maybe I should change my perspective. I should change the way I think about this. And so sometimes when people find themselves maybe attracted to chaos, um, it's because they grew up in a somewhat chaotic environment. And so for them, it's like the devil they know. And it's not always conscious. It could be a subconscious process where, you know, in in a weird way, you feel safer when there's chaos because you know how to deal with it. It's an old pattern that no matter, you know, how 
much you don't like it, at least you know how to survive that. Mm. When things are really calm, when things are going well, these people sometimes actually feel more out of sorts because it's like, whoa, what is this? I, I've never experienced this. That means that the other shoe's going to drop soon, so I might as well be the one to drop that shoe. You know, So then they end up stirring up the chaos when there isn't chaos because they're expecting that it's going to happen again. And so a big part of changing this is to really – you know, start to challenge these existing ideas by, you know, allowing yourself to sit in that peaceful moment, allowing yourself to, to sit when there is calm and just deal with sort of the stress and anxiety that comes, but breathe through it, you know, visualize that this is actually okay. You know, one of the things that is so hard for us to change is, is these old patterns because we rush to go back and fill in the blanks with the old behaviors that we do and so it's really a big part of you know what we call anxiety reduction is actually sitting with the anxiety until it starts to dissipate until it starts to go away and then you're like oh okay i survived that i can survive this new experience and then the next time it's a little bit easier it's just like when you are afraid of flying and you never fly then of course you're never going to challenge that fear right but once you actually fly you sit through it, you survive, you're like, oh, okay, I can do this again. And so it is important to sit through the anxiety and, and really try to just breathe through it. I spent a lot of my life anticipating problems and saying, well, you know what, if I got to cross the street and there's going to be a fight, I may as well do it now as opposed to going down the street. And then I realized later on in life, not only do you not have to cross the street, but a lot of time there's no fight over there. You're making a fight by crossing that street. I'm not quite sure how I realized that or how I stopped doing it, but is that a common thing that people sometimes do? Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, and thank you so much for bringing your own experience into it. I mean, I, again, I think it's really relatable because we all do it from time to time. You know, even the most mindful people, even the people who are the most self-aware, that still happens. And, and we get ourselves into our old patterns very easily just because it's stored in a place in our brains where it feels like that's your reality and it's always going to be a reality. But that's when it's really important to say, you know, where did I develop this pattern? Really ask yourself that question. Like, how, when did this happen the first time? What was going around then? And then comparing that time to your life now. You know, I, I bet there are going to be some major differences once you compare the two. And once you see that contrast, perhaps that could be one of the ways to unlock a new idea of, hey, you know what, I don't have to do that all the time. Let me try a different behavior instead and see what happens. Somebody, um, Albert Brooks, I think, is one of the funniest people ever to walk the planet, and going even back to the caveman days, And I, although they might have had an Albert Brooks, and I don't I even know why I'm saying this. But anyway, at the end of, of this HBO special, he says, his, his agent says, well, why don't you take the easy road? Why don't you ever take, why don't you ever take the easy road? Why don't you always take the hard road? And he says, I don't even see a hard road. If I knew there uh, easy road, if I knew there was an easy road, I'd build a house there. But for me, there is no easy road. Are some people just wired like that where, where they're determined uh, they don't see an easy way and they're determined to make it harder on themselves? 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a a common thing. And it it almost makes you feel like, well, you know, why would somebody take that harder road when there's clearly the easy path? But sometimes our minds play tricks on us. And sometimes our minds will say, unless we've earned it, unless we've toiled for it, unless we've worked hard for it, then we don't deserve it. Or then it's too good to be true, you know? And I think that, again, that's just part of the self-protective mechanism that many of our brains have that's just hardwired into us, but it is important to, you know, try to switch that perspective and say, well, sometimes it's okay that certain things are easy and certain things are hard. No, everything is, everything doesn't have to all be so difficult. Um, It's just a a challenge that a lot of people have to overcome because of the way that one, maybe they were brought up or two, maybe because there are some feelings inside thinking you don't deserve the easy way, that if it's that easy, then perhaps it it means that it it isn't as important as you thought it was. And I think that that's because socially um, we're also looking around us and we're saying, well, you know, what is everybody else doing? And if other people are complaining, other people are struggling, and then things seem to come easy for you, there is a guilt process with that, you know, and we, we don't realize that it creeps us and we start to actually self-sabotage our own efforts because of what's happening around us. And I've actually heard this a lot with friends and colleagues and also my patients where people are like, well, I just feel so bad that things are going well for me. And then I almost feel like I have to hide that they're going well for me because I know that my family is struggling. I know my friends are struggling and I don't want them to think that, oh, well, I'm just having a day in the park while they're just struggling and toiling through what they're going through. In a long text here, basically they're saying they've been at work 20 minutes, New Year, and already negative Nancy is at it, and that they went in with a new attitude, and it's a long text, y'all. you got to keep them short because they somebody else's text comes in in the middle, and I'll try to put it together. But I think what they're trying to say is that they went in with a new attitude, trying to be positive, Somebody that works there is very negative and constantly complains, but they cause their own problems. They're going to struggle the rest of their life, and they don't realize it, and and it's a mess, and they don't know what to do. You got 20 seconds, Dr. Judy. Good luck. No, I'm just kidding. Whoa. (laughs) Well, I I think that it can be really hard with colleagues and trying to, you know, manage colleagues who are being difficult. And I think that you have to have boundaries, just like with anybody else in life, you know, family, friends, and colleagues, decide what you can do and what you can do, what you can change with this person, what you can't. And if it starts to really creep into your own happiness and your own peace, then it is important just to say, okay, well, I will, I will say hi to this person. I will help them when they have a project, but I'm not going to ask them about their personal life. And when they start talking to me about things, I'm going to have to just disengage, you know, remove myself and change the and that is not being not compassionate 
because you really have to be able to protect your own mental space to be able to do your best and to keep being kind to other people. Well, we're going to disengage for a second, let you tend to Luca just for a second, and we'll be back in a minute. But I do know people that I've worked with, not here, not now, but when I was attending the University of Life that constantly had problems. And and I think if somebody's listening right now and every job they've had the other people, quote, have constantly been jerks, have constantly been, and it's constantly been that. If you draw Venn diagrams, maybe the only thing that's in common with all of that is the person themselves. And I think there are people like that that are going to struggle the rest of their lives, and they don't realize that, as the Eagles once said, the, 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 they hold the chains to the, the, the lock, the key to their own locks and chains, but they don't realize that. Then they could set themselves free, but they just won't. And that's a butchering of an Eagles song, but I think people get the idea. 936, 24 till 10. More with Dr. Judy when we come back. Right now, traffic on WWL. From the Acadian Windows and Siding WWL Traffic Center. Bonnie Carey Spillway, no delays to report in either direction. I-10 East, Kenner 2, downtown New Orleans, about a 14-minute commute. Twin span free and clear, both east and westbound. I-10 West New Orleans East to downtown is delay-free. Downtown elevated and the flyover running at speed. Crescent City Connection wide open in both directions. UEP Long in the causeway, no delays there. I-55 North and southbound free and clear. No delays on I-12. I-59 is delay-free. This has been a look at traffic with Courtney P on WWL. Tommy Tucker, WWL. Talking to Dr. Judy Hope, clinical and forensic neuropsychologist, host of the Supercharged Life podcast. The uh, Eagle song I butchered earlier is already gone, and this is the part I was talking about here. Eventually, I think they get to singing it. Perhaps not. We'll see. Maybe. Here we go. Dr. Judy, so many times we live our lives in chains and we never even know we have the key. Some people cause their own problems throughout their life, and if they reflect back and it's like, well, I worked here and they were jerks and I worked there and they were jerks and I worked at the other place, and what do you know, more jerks, that if you start drawing Venn diagrams, you realize, hey, wait a minute, I'm the only common denominator in all of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think that that's true. But also, when you have that recognition, that doesn't mean you have to blame yourself. And that's not what we're trying to do either. It's really just about recognizing your role. But about taking responsibility. I guess taking responsibility is what I'm saying. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that so much of this is, you know, we want to complain about how everybody else is responsible for our misery, bad luck, etc., but that also takes you away from feeling empowered to make change, that that's actually going to make a difference, right? So when you actually recognize that there's something that you've done to contribute to what's going on, it's actually really a great thing because then that means you can actually do something about it, right? Instead of saying, well, it's all just up to other people, right? And, it's and, up to you. It's and, up to you. And the corollary yeah. to that is you can't think that everything you did good is a result of yourself and everything bad is a result of somebody else because, again— um, yeah. in a way, it takes the pressure off of you. Acknowledge that not everything good is a result of you because you realize you're not in it alone. Exactly. And that is actually a huge key to human compassion, not for our, only for ourselves, but also for others, is that 
we're all in this together. You know, there is such a thing as a collective consciousness, like so much of what you're being going through, you may think you're the only person, but so many other people in other parts of the world at different times, uh, you know, in the world have been through what you've been through and that actually connects all of us. And so it's something helpful to remind yourself of too, when you feel lonely or you feel like you're going through something and you're all alone out on an island by yourself. You're never out on an island by yourself, even if it feels that way. Um, somebody texted in, as you say, lonely and said they feel lonely and they want to know what they can do to, um, I guess, get out of that mindset. Yeah, loneliness is a perception. It's a, That's why it's kind of sometimes hard for people to wrap their heads around that. Um, you can be around so many people and still feel lonely. You can be living with five, ten people. You can live with the people that you love. You can be talking to people all the time and still feel lonely. And so it's a state of mind. And really, I think when people feel lonely, first of all, know that you're not alone. Um, Two-thirds of Americans say that they feel lonely some of the time. And so it's really not um, something that is uncommon by any means. It's actually kind of the norm to feel lonely sometimes. And when that happens, it's really important to try to connect with your values. You know, what is the most important thing to you in life? And I'm not talking about goals that you can check off the list. I'm talking about values, which are, you know, things that you want to be remembered by, how you want to be talked about when you're not in the room. Uh, these are not things that you can check off, but they're kind of like a compass for your life. It's directing your actions. And so if you can define what some of your top values are, maybe they're things like, you know, adventure or community or knowledge or spirituality, whatever it is for you, you know, recognize what your top values are. And then every single day, just make a plan to get in touch with those values, even in some small way. If one of your top values is community, that doesn't mean that you're going out there, you know, attending big parties, but it does mean, hey, I haven't talked to this friend in several months. I'm going to send them a quick email or send them a text or just take, you know, pick up the phone and call them and say hi for five minutes, right? Those little things, they really add up because when you're living a values-based centered life, you do feel lonely less because you feel like you're actually living a life that you want to live. It's really about honoring those top values and doing things in service of them that helps to reduce that loneliness. So I get a text here from somebody who says they're not in favor of New Year's resolutions, and I get it. I understand that if you want to change your life, you, you don't have to wait until January 1st to do it. But some people do look at that as a, a time of passage, at least in, in, in Western culture. That's when the New Year starts. So how do you go about changing your behavior? I, I started this morning, Dr. Judy, by saying you can't you know, say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go from zero to 60. I put on 80 pounds. I'm going to lose it in the first month. And then after two days, you're starving hungry. So you say, screw this, not just in terms of weight loss, but when it comes to changing behavior, it's not going to happen overnight. And you, you can't quit if it fails the first time, right? Yeah, you can't quit if it fails the first time. And I get what they're saying about, you know, not the new year, not being the end all for everything. And actually, it's a huge trap for a lot of people because they think, okay, this is a new year. Everything's going to be different. And then when they inevitably, as we all do, make a mistake, all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, forget it. Now it's all ruined, you know. Um, so you don't want to have that black and white thinking, although the new year is a useful marker, a useful psychological marker because it's a feeling of renewal, right? It's like, okay, like I'm going to reflect back on what I did. I'm going to think about how I want this year to look. But instead of saying I, I want to think about how I want this year to look, Probably a, a better perspective is just to say, 
well, what do I want this week to look like? What do I want this day to look like, right? You can, you can still use that spirit of renewal and newness to make change, but if you lock yourself into, well, this new year is going to be different because of X, like, and then when something doesn't go your way, you're going to get discouraged, right? So it is great to still dream big, but you got to think about the steps in between. And you have to sort of take it one step at a time, as opposed to thinking, well, you know what, like this whole year, I'm going to be kind to my parents. And it's only January 2nd. And I already yelled at them this morning. <laughs> you know, are you going to um, confession here, Dr. Hey. Judy? <laughs> are, you, are you going to confession here? It sounds like it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, yeah, right. So, yeah, you know, that's... you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, lock yourself into, to, to these like, year-long goals. Luca will be yelling at you one day, so it all evens out. Exactly. Well, he already did this morning. There you go. Exactly. That's right. (laughs) Um, So when it does come to changing behavior, are there certain steps that you should take or can take, or does it vary from individual to individual? Well, certainly it can vary to some degree, although I think that there is a template you can follow. The first thing is whatever goal you're going to be creating, you want to make sure that it is tethered to your top value. Sometimes we you know, say yes to a goal because somebody else says yes or it sounds good, but it actually really doesn't um, jive with what's truly important to us. So really check, you know, is, is this goal that I'm committing to this big goal, is it tethered to a few of my top values? You know, does it actually really nurture those values for me? Um, once you have done that check, then it's really important not to only have the big goal, but to start breaking it down into steps. Nobody likes to do that because it's not as fun as thinking about the big goal, but you got to do it because you have to be able to see the path. It's like, you know, laying out the, the, the land, right? Laying out, you know, getting the ladder, getting the steps. You got to do it. So, okay, here's the big goal. Like, what are the small things I have to accomplish? Let's break it down by week. Let's break it down by month, right? And write, and write them down. Writing is powerful because it makes it, a lot more concrete for you in your mind. And it's also something you can refer back to when you need to get an extra boost of motivation. Something else that people don't realize about goal setting is that instead of just visualizing all of the wonderful and positive things that you're going to feel when you reach that goal, you have to actually also visualize the potential barrier. Again, doesn't sound like fun, but the great thing is once you have visualized the kind of things that could get in your way, the kind of issues that could come up that could derail you, then you can make a plan for it. And so you basically do a visualization exercise where the first part is what most people know about positive visualization. It's like enjoying this idea of what what your life is going to be like when you reach the goal, but then peel back and say, well, what are the things that might get in the way and be as specific as possible. Once you have identified those barriers, then you should make a contingency plan for each of them. So these are if then statements, you know, if this happens, then I will do this. You know, if I'm tempted to procrastinate this weekend while I'm supposed to work on this project, then I'll pack up my bag, go to the nearest, you know, coffee shop and make myself sit there and work for at least one hour, right? It has to be really specific because then when this happens, instead of getting discouraged and getting caught up in your emotions, all you have to do is just refer back to what you wrote and then do it. And then you sidestep that barrier. And this is actually based on a science called implementation intentions. This is actually a huge technique that, you know, the world's top CEOs and athletes swear by to make sure that they still can keep going when the going gets tough. And so look it up. It's called mental contrasting and implementation intentions. It's a huge mouthful, 
but it's essentially what I just described, which is visualizing the barriers and then making an if-then contingency plan for each barrier that you identify. It's almost like a like a, a, a traffic app where it's telling you how to go and a roadmap and where to go, and if this is closed, go that way, and et cetera, right? Exactly. I love that analogy. Sometimes I use the analogy of a recipe, you know, like a recipe uh-huh. card, Same like thing. do this and this step. Same exact thing. Exactly. And that's why it's so important. That's the value in it. Even if you don't like the feeling of having to think about barriers, just know that we're all going to have barriers. That's just a hundred percent scenario. So it's better just to be prepared and be prepared in a productive way rather than just be thinking in your mind about all the bad things that can happen. Right. That's kind of different when you ruminate about catastrophes that's not productive but thinking about specific barriers that could come up and then making a plan about it that is productive worrying and we want to do that (laughs) one quick text i got that i that i want to address because i'm going i went through this a little bit myself and it's not a negative thing at all but i'm 80 pounds lighter than i was on january 2nd of last year And, and at some point i do find myself saying okay now what because it's not, you have this goal, right? And you, and you keep going and yeah. you go on and you reach it. And then it's like, okay, well, what now? We're kind of like, you know, okay, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's that, that's also actually some of the most interesting times where people can self-sabotage. Because you reach your goal and you're like, uh-oh, what's next? Yep. And there's sort of this post-goal blues where you're like, you get to that goal. You've been working so hard at it. And then you're like, well, what does this mean now? You know, and what? And man, like, I'm going to have to just keep this up for the rest of my life. That was yeah. really hard getting here, you know? And so I think, you know, a couple of things. One, know that the feeling that you're having is normal. It doesn't mean that that goal that you reached wasn't worth it. It is, it is worth it. It's worth it for your health. Um, but, you know, you probably do need to kind of reevaluate, well, what's important from here? Now that I have reached my goal weight, is it, is it keeping it? because I know how important it is to be healthy. Is it setting a different goal for myself that's related to my health that's not goal re- uh, not weight related? Is it actually refocusing on a different goal, but also you know, still maintaining this weight because I know it's important? Um, so sometimes it can be helpful to write down all of the benefits of reaching this goal. Like now that you have reached this goal, what, how has your life changed? What are the things that you like about it? Um, you know, how, how are you feeling? How are people speaking with you? How are you speaking with yourself? You know, write down all of the benefits for the reasons why um, this goal was so important in the first place and how your life actually looks now that you've reached your goal. That can be helpful in terms of maintaining your progress. And then it might be time just to revision, you know, well, what, what is next for me? You know, is it still something health related? Is it a different type of goal? Um, and again, really connecting with your top values. That's a really big part of trying to think about what's next for you. I've realized, Dr. Judy, I'm a border collie. You better keep me busy. You better keep me busy. Or I'm going to find some mischief to get into. Uh, oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I say that all the time. I'm like, I think that that is my, if, if I was a dog, I'd be a border collie. You and I are the so same people. I'm telling you. Hanging out. I know, week week after week, we're the same person. Thank you, Dr. Judy. Have a great mm-hmm. uh, week. Tell Luca hi. Happy New Year. Thank same you. To you. I will. Dr. Judy, Dr. Judy O, clinical forensic neuropsychologist, host of the Supercharged Life podcast. A quick break. When we come back. We'll find out how Newell Norman's going to get the year started here on WWL. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.